Thank you, Ellie. We're going to do that now. We're going to open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Uh, we're working our way through this book. We're a bit past the halfway uh, and still unpicking what the teacher has to teach us. So please open to Ecclesiastes 8 and Christine's going to lead us as we read. Ecclesiastes 8. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too, is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labour on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, Man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. So far our reading. Thank you, Christine. Uh, now remember, we're reading the words of the teacher here. Uh, the teacher who is assessing life as he sees it under the sun is kind of his code word for in this life, uh, in this physical existence. Uh, and he's cataloguing why it's so frustrating, why it's so confusing. 
and so difficult. And he continues uh, that today, so we're going to keep unpicking his words. Um, I don't, it's funny, uh, the things that people say to you when you have a new baby, um, usually they're quite well meant, um, but it's kind of strange when you sit back and think, you know, what they've actually said to you. You know, people, people ask, you know, about Rufus, is he a good baby? Well, I mean, obviously he's pure evil, like, I, I don't know what you expect. Uh, does he sleep? No, absolutely not, never. Hence why we're looking so frazzled. No, uh, but one that, we, one that we got, and I think this was for the first time we got this with Rufus, maybe even before he was born, um, aren't you a bit worried about bringing children into this world? Now, on the face of it, that kind of feels a bit more logical, doesn't it? Aren't you, aren't you worried? You know, you look at this world, you see the things that happen. Doesn't that concern you, bringing a baby into that? I mean, after all, the world is pretty ugly, isn't it? There's all sorts of tension around the world. There's all sorts of awful things happening around the world. We live in a time of pandemic and lockdown. Uh, we live in a time of random murder just down the road. Like, what's, what's going on, even with this place? Now, we saw last week, it's foolish to say the old days were better, as if the world has suddenly become bad. Uh, you can look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 to see that. But the world is still pretty rough, isn't it? The world's full of all sorts of awful things and people doing awful things. So should we be fearful? Uh, and not only fearful for ourselves, should we be fearful for our children, for the next generation and for the sort of world and experience they're going to have of growing up? Well, the answer is no. No. Now, it's not no because we know what's coming and we know we just have to wait this, this period out. Um, the answer's not no because we're like, well, it's, she'll be right, mate. You know, things will surely get better eventually. The teacher can be really cynical, but he says, no, we shouldn't fear because there is, in fact, meaning in this ugly world. There is, in fact, meaning in the messiness that we see all around us. Yes, the world might get us down and does get us down, but wisdom, that is understanding the right way of life, as the teacher says here in verse 1, can turn a frown upside down. <laughs> um, that's how you would, I don't know if you, you saw verse 1, a, a person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance, uh, literally puts a smile in instead of a frown. <laughs> it can turn a frown upside down. So How? Well, that's what this chapter unpacks for us. That's what we're going to see this morning. Because the teacher wants us to understand that even though this world is full of awful things, there is still a right way to view it. The world is ugly, but there is a good way to view it. Now, he explains it in a way which is a bit unfamiliar to us. Look at uh, verse 2 through to verse 5. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. Now, this is all a bit distance from us. We don't interact with kings on a daily basis, if ever. Uh, but the teacher's point stands. What he's saying is, Yes, the world is ugly. Yes, the world is full of frustrations and difficulties. But that is not a license to just do as you please. So there's no meaning everywhere, anywhere. I'm just going to do what I want. 
Actually, the teacher says, if you do that, and if you do it in the wrong place, such as before a king, that's not going to work out well for you. (laughs) But we can see the temptation, can't we? The temptation to look at the world and say, look, everything is so crazy and weird and strange, why shouldn't we? Just do as we please. I mean, look at the way the teacher describes the world. It's in there in verse 7 through 9. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone what's to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others, to his own hurt. You kind of you see his assessment of this world, don't you? No one knows the future. Uh, no one control the day of their death. You know, it's easier to control the wind than to know the day of your own death. No one can escape from wicked or evilness. And all too often, people simply hurt each other. Doesn't it kind of just make sense in the context of that world to just throw our hands up and say, What's even the point? I'll just do as I please. Life is meaningless, so let's give up. I mean, there's so little we can change. So why even try? Now, we used to play a game um, with Melinda's family, actually, a game called Killer Bunnies. Um, If you've ever played that, you'll understand where I'm going with this. Um, It's a hard game to describe. I won't bother. Um, it's, It's utter nonsense and chaos. That's probably the best way to describe it. We haven't actually played it for ages because it's just so frustrating and unsatisfying. Um, you, you play and you play through this game. It's a card game, so you, know, you, you plan your moves with these cards. You, you make the wisest and best moves you can, and, and it is fun, and it, the cards are funny. But, but you've, you've built up this game. You've played as best as you can. And then comes the end of the game, and the winner's decided by pure luck, pure chance, random luck. Not, not by how you've played the game. And it, it's so frustrating. It just drives you crazy. You know, I've played the best game, I've used the best cards in the best possible way, and I still lose. Because in the end, nothing you've done determines the result. That's the worst kind of game, isn't it? And the teacher says, that's a bit like life. That's how, that's how life feels, isn't it? There's, there's just so much out of our control. It just kind of feels like random luck. We can't control what's coming, we can't control our death, we can't escape from evil, we can't, we're at the power of other people. Why don't we just give up? Well, the teacher has a reason. He has something to offer us, and it's there at the second half of verse 5. The wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. There is a proper time or procedure, he says, or a, or a just way. Literally, he kind of says, there's a right time and place. Yes, you and I are powerless over so much. Yes, it's really painful to have to face that and live that. But there is still a right way. There is still a right place and time. Now, if you were here a few weeks back, um, this is not exactly new news in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, You might recall Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's got that that famous poem in it, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun, a time to give birth and a time to die, and so on and so forth. 
there is a time. That is, stuff doesn't just happen. It's not all just random. There is a time. There is a timekeeper. There's a rhythm. There's an order to this world. Design. And therefore a designer. That is God. So what the teacher is saying here is, God is working out a plan. Yes, things are hard for us to understand from our point of view. Yes, it's hard to know what's to come. We feel very powerless. But that doesn't mean that there's not a structure to the world around us. God is working out a plan, and it's his plan. And he's bringing it about, even here today, according to his timetable. That's what the teacher says. Now, of course, this is something that we can know even more than the teacher did. Because we've been shown more than the teacher could see. Um, As Jesus told the crowds early in his ministry, he said to them, my time is not yet here. There is a plan and that moment hasn't come yet. Or later, towards the end of his life, he prays to his father, Father, the hour has come. We're drawing close to that moment, that the plan is is coming to fulfilment. See, the world isn't just hurtling from one random event to another random event. God is setting the scene. And what's more than that, God is telling us Jesus is at the heart of that plan. And here's how it's summarised in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So how much does that mesh with what the teacher's saying here? We were, we were powerless. Powerless over this world, powerless uh, over the hurts of this world, powerless over death, powerless to escape the, the sin that's embedded so deeply within our hearts and the destruction it's destined it for, us for. And yet, God has acted. In God's right time, he sent his son to die for the hurts of that world, to powerfully forgive and heal the evil of sin in our hearts, and to take on himself and save us from that destruction that we were destined for. There is a right time, and that right time is good. And the teacher says the wise will know this. Not because they've discovered it, not because they're so wise that they've kind of found that plan and and, and understood it. The wise will know this because God's revealed it to everyone, to us. And so they'll trust him and they'll trust his right time plan and receive it. See, that's, that's actually God's invitation here. The world is painful and we are powerless but he is not. We can trust there's a right time. And God's got it, and God's working it out. We don't, (laughs) and that's okay. Um, He doesn't tell us the minute details of his plan. Um, We have to be content with knowing the macro, uh, not the micro of it. We we get the, the overall gist, not the everyday. But we can know much. This plan centres on Jesus, so we know it's a good plan. We know it's moving to a good end. We're going to see that in just a moment. And so we can trust in that. Rather than raging at what we can't control and at what we will never be able to control, we're invited to live wisely, trusting that there is in fact a right time and a right way and a right plan being unfolded all around us. 
to live wisely, that is discerning that way where we can and trusting where we can't. Because knowing that plan, knowing God's control, that actually helps us face all sorts of things, even ugly things. Like when the teacher looks at the world. The teacher looks at the world and he sees it is a messy place. Uh, Look at verse 10 through to verse 12. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time. I'm just going to pause it there. Um, It's a bit of a tricky passage. Um, It's a little bit confusing. But essentially what the teacher is doing is he's looking at this world around him and he's lamenting. He says, look how bad it is. He says, I look at my city and I see wicked people, you know, who used to pretend that they were so righteous, who who put on this veneer of being good people. And look what happens. They, They flaunted their wickedness, then they're buried, and everyone praises them as if they were great. Everyone pretends as if they were awesome. How ridiculous. He says, and then on top of that, you know, you you see evil not being dealt with, and it doesn't go away, it just gets worse. And evil people, they seem to get away with it. You know, they commit a hundred crimes and then they, they, they live a long time, they have a great life. How can this be? Who wants to live in a world like that? Wouldn't it just be so easy to say, I give up. I can't deal with that sort of issue. I can't, I can't handle that sort of problems. I, 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 I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist, not going to even bother. What can little old me do? I, I, don't, I don't know anything. That's kind of how I look at our lawn. Now, don't get me wrong, our lawn's not a disaster. I've seen worse, um, but I've seen a lot better. Uh, our lawn is green, mostly, but it's patchy. Uh, And come summertime, every bowler on our lawn is shane-worn. Like, you can make the ball talk all sorts of unpredictable ways. There's grubs in our lawn. There are more weeds in our lawn than you can shake a stick at. And now there seems to be a bandicoot living somewhere in our lawn that I cannot find, just to add insult to injury. Now, I know it's technically possible to fix our lawn. I know that it is actually achievable, but it is just so big. Why did we buy such a big block of land? What a, what a bad decision. The time, the effort, let alone the cost of making that lawn beautiful, as beautiful as our next-door neighbours, it's just too much. And so I've decided to throw my hands up and do nothing. I give up. It will grow, I will mow it, and that will be it. How easy would it be to do the same for the world? It's just too much. (laughs) I can't do anything. I'm not going to. I can't. And yet the teacher has something far better for us. And it's there at the end of verse 12. I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like the shadow See, the teacher says, rather than despairing, rather than giving up on the world, here is a better way. He says, fear God. 
fear God. That is, remember, God is in control. And not just in control over this life. The teacher says, remember, God is in control over all life, all time, in fact. Yes, the wicked seem to get away with so much. All sorts of things seem to happen to them and they don't seem to get what they deserve and it's really frustrating. But the teacher says that's what it looks like in this life. But God is bigger than this life. I don't know if you saw that there. Uh, He talks about the wicked, you know, those who don't fear God, who don't live before God in respect of God. He says their lives actually aren't just going to go on and on. That their days won't continue like a shadow, you know, forever lengthening, because God is in control of that. God is in control of those days, and in fact, more than that, God is in control of all things, even beyond those days, beyond death. See, what the teacher is saying is, yes, there are unjust and there are unfair and ugly things here on this earth, but not beyond it. Not beyond it. God might stay his hand here. He might suspend justice and allow these things here. But he won't do it then. And the wise know this. And so they fear God. This is not just the teacher's thought. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear the one who's bigger than this life, Jesus says. You know, don't, don't spend your life now worrying about what happens to others and whether they seem to get away with it or not. Fear for yourself. Fear about God and your standing before him. Because not one wicked person, not one wicked deed will get away with it. God is bigger than, than just now. And he, in his awesome and holy power, will deal with all deeds according to what they deserve. So fear God. And as the teacher says, in fearing him, it will go better with you. So this is not a fear that leads to death. This is not a fear that leads to paralysis. It's a fear that leads to a better life. Because this fear means acknowledging his right over you. Acknowledging that he is king and ruler of all. It means acknowledging your own waywardness and rebellion against him. And realising your need for mercy, his mercy. Now don't despair. Because that mercy is freely given. He, he offers it to anyone who comes to him. He, in fact, he, he, that invitation stands today to come to him and to receive that. Utter forgiveness, a completely clean slate and a new life, all in Jesus. All of that is yours if you simply go to him. That's what it means to fear him. And that means it will go well with you. Don't fear what you cannot do or what you can't change. That is meaningless or or futile, as the teacher puts it. It will get you nowhere but despair. The fear of God, on the other hand, that brings life. That brings hope because it brings you to him. 
to his life-giving son. And because God is bigger than the here and now, bigger than this life, fearing him brings you life eternal, life forever. He is in control, so fear him. He is in control now, so live for him. That seems kind of strange. Uh, Look at the way that the teacher describes now and describes our time. He, He says it there in verse 14. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. I mean, we've all seen this, haven't we? You look at really bad people and they get really great lives. They get all sorts of prosperity and health and and a long life and it seems to be so easy for them. And then you look at people who we consider really good and what do they get? They they get hard lives and and sickness and trial and all sorts of awful things happen to them. It, It sucks. That's just ridiculous. How frustrating. As if that wasn't enough, look how he goes on in verse 16. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labour that it's done on the earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Here's a summary. Unfair and unknowable. That's our world. (laughs) That's the happy bottom line that the teacher arrives at. Unfair, unknowable. Meaningless, and we can't discover meaning. We can't put it together. We can't understand it. That's fairly grim. What do we do with that? Well, this is what the teacher says. Enjoy it. Verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life. God has given them under the sun. Life sucks, so enjoy it. (laughs) It's something you don't read every day. Uh, And it, it, I mean, it seems bizarre, doesn't it? How how can we enjoy a life that's unfair and unknowable? How how do we stick those two things together? How's how's that possible? I mean, it's true, isn't it? If, If life is unfair and unknowable, then enjoying it kind of doesn't make sense. You know, we might have nice things, but, but who knows if they'll just be taken away from us? Who knows what random event is, is around the corner that could rob us from all the things that we've enjoyed? That, that, that'd, that'd be meaningless, wouldn't it? How can we enjoy life in an unknowable world? It'd be kind of like happiness in Monopoly, isn't it? You know what it's like. Your happiness in Monopoly uh, corresponds very closely to how well the dice are in your favour. A good roll and you skip that hotel and you land safe. Uh, you, you draw the right card and you have a bank error in your favour. Oh, if only that happened in real life. Then you get a bad roll and you land on Mayfair with hotels. Or you get a bad card, straight to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. If that's all life is, then we can't really expect any more happiness than any family experiences towards the end of a game of Monopoly, can we? But life's not like that, is it? That's what the teacher's been saying all through this. Life's not like that. It's not a random game of Monopoly with its frustrations. We have a God who has a plan. 
who knows every roll of the dice, who knows what's around the corner, who knows where we'll land next. We have a God who is powerfully working out his plan, not bound by chance or fate, but above them all. And that God is good, not just in control, but gracious and saving in Jesus. So therefore, in him, because of him, we can actually enjoy this world. We can actually enjoy what he's given. We can love life and eat and drink and be glad and enjoy our toil, not because random chance gave us those things, but because God did. We don't enjoy them just because they come and they may go. We don't love them in and of themselves. We enjoy them because we know where they came from. We know that they came by design, out of a a God who loves and who cares from a God who's our Father. And that, that, that frees us to enjoy them. That gives us space to delight in them, whatever else is happening in this world. Not because these gifts are so good, but because our giver is. See, our joy in life isn't dependent on chance. Neither is it frustrated by the ugliness of this world, Neither is it tied to our ability to to manufacture an enjoyable life for ourselves and avoid hard things. Our joy in life is in the hands of a good God who richly gave us his son to give us life and all the good things that we need to have in this life. So don't yearn for what isn't. Don't long for what's beyond your power to have. Don't consume yourself in frustration at what could never be. But be glad for what's before you. Delight in eating and drinking in the toilets in front because they are good gifts from a perfect giver. See, really what the teacher is doing in this passage is putting a choice in front of us. We can see the ugliness of this world. We can despair at it. I mean, it is painful. We're not ignoring that. It is random and weird and unpredictable and unknowable. And all of that is scary. Let's be honest. Or we can see all of that and yet still see God's hand over it. His plan worked out in Jesus to rescue and fix his justice, extending far beyond this life and this world, his grace, giving good gifts to his people, even amidst the ugliness of this world. See, that changes the picture, doesn't it? And to see the world like that is the wisdom the teacher invites us to have. To see God's hand, to see God's plan, and therefore live well not fearing what might be but fearing and living for the God who is and as the teacher promised in verse 1 that turns a frown upside down let's pray Heavenly Father you know how easy it is for us to get all caught up in fear and anxiety and worry. I mean, after all, we, we live in a world that is full of pain and confusion and frustration. Um, all these things we, we experience on a daily basis. 
Father, we thank you for your, for your word, as we've read it this morning, which reminds us to look past that, to look past all that and to see you, to see you in control, to see you at work, to see you unfolding your good plan for this world, which centres in Jesus. Father, give us eyes to see that every day. Give us a heart to trust you, that even though we can't see the details, we know that your goodness is being worked out around us. Help us to trust your justice that goes beyond this life and help us to have this hope throughout life as promised in Jesus so that we can truly enjoy what you've given to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.